Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Return to the Telepodcast, a show about shitty horror movie sequels, prequels, reboots, etc. I'm Bryce Patterson, as always, uh, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Serrano Echevarria. Hello. I like how you said I'm Bryce Patterson, as always, as if you are sometimes not Bryce Patterson. You know, it's funny. It's, it's just like we, we have enough episodes at this point that I feel like, uh, I don't know, I need to look at this intro and see how much of it is we actually need. <laughs> valid, valid. Yeah, I say the same thing every time. Uh, how are you doing, Kevin? Uh, not bad. Not bad. It's been pretty chill. It's been a pretty decent summer for me so far. Nice. How are you doing? You know, I, uh, oh God, I worked today and then, uh, was like trying to clean my apartment and stuff. I'm traveling tomorrow. So I just have like a bunch of things to get done. And like, it honestly, it's not even that I've done (laughs) that much today. I I did a bunch of like laundry and cleaning and stuff yesterday. Um, so I think I'm starting to feel it a little bit where Mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, I gotta, I gotta know things about movies. I gotta, (laughs) you know, so that's where I'm at. I mean, you gotta know about this movie because uh, it has yeah. JLo and Owen Wilson and Ice Cube for some reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if this is your first time joining us, uh, here's the name of the game. Each episode of the show focuses on an iconic horror movie that has a shitty sequel or prequel or reboot, uh, etc. Kevin and I talk about sort of, uh, you, you know, the things that made the original film, you know, great or iconic or a cult classic or what have you, um, basically why it resonated with people. Uh, and then we talk about why the sequel kind of falls short or falls apart. And then at the end of each episode, we pitch each other ideas for different directions that the story could have gone. This week, we're talking about Luis Yosa's 1997 cult classic, Anaconda, and Dwight Little's 2004 sequel, Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid. And just a quick note before we get into things, there's actually um, a reboot of the series in development, uh, I learned today, uh, as of, I think, 2020. So, Sony Pictures, if you're listening, give us a call. Hit us up. So, uh, Kevin, what is your history with these films? So I haven't seen the second one uh, until yesterday. Uh, but the first one is kind of like, I saw it when I was like very, very young, like to the point where I barely remembered uh, and most of the plot in the present day until I rewatched it. Uh, but it was for a while, like kind of the horror movie that like me and my parents would watch and then rewatch whenever there was nothing else on. Um and really, all I remembered from it was that there was an anaconda and that there was J-Lo and that it sucked real bad. But that was kind of my experience with it. I think, I don't know for sure, but I think I saw it in Spanish first. And then, like, when I rewatched it, I watched it in English. But I don't know for sure. Cool. In Spanish, anaconda is anaconda, by the way. Neat fact. Nice. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um it's an interesting one. I mean, I think it's like the first movie that we've done where like I don't know, you know, I mean it's it's a cult classic, but it's a pretty bullshit movie. <laughs> like on some level, yeah. you know, like, yeah. it is a total blast. It kind of kicks ass a lot of the time, but my god, it is so dumb. It doesn't conceptually make sense. Uh and the second one absolutely conceptually makes even less sense somehow yeah yeah 
Yeah. So I, I had also, uh, I'd never seen either of these actually. So I, I hadn't seen the second one and, um, yeah, I, I'd never seen either, uh, going into this. I, uh, I remember a good friend of mine, um, I think saw the original and anaconda uh, he, he saw one of them back when we were in like middle school and was not someone who grew up on horror and so i think it was like uh fairly disturbing for him uh so Chaz, if you're listening hopefully this is some kind of uh closure on that experience i suggest rewatching it when you're an adult it's uh barely a horror movie in my opinion <laughs> at this point yeah you know i was thinking about this that it, it's sort of I think uh, on Wikipedia, they describe it as adventure horror. Yeah. And that's that's where I'd put it. You know, I think it's in a similar boat to, uh, say, the I think the 1999 version of The Mummy with Brendan yeah. Fraser. Yeah. You know, where, yeah, it, it has like horror elements, but like a lot of it is sort of like the kind of globe trotting fun. Um, and it's, yeah, that blend of like some horror, some action, some just kind of goofiness. It's kind of like Raiders of the Lost Ark, but a little bit more gory and a little bit more explicit. And it's like, uh, I guess, violence. Yeah, kind of like if Raiders of the Lost Ark, like if the Lost Ark was a giant anaconda. Yeah, yeah. If it was like, if every like violent scene was the face melting scene. Yeah, I no, I think, I think, that, I think that covers it. <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, with no further ado, then uh, I'm going to summarize the uh, original film. Uh, so Anaconda from 1997. Anthropologist Stephen Kale is shooting a documentary in the Amazon rainforest about the long lost Shirashama tribe along with his girlfriend slash director, J-Lo. And then there's also Ice Cube, Owen Wilson. There's a uh, kind of goofy British guy, and I don't remember what that actor's name is. They rescue a stranded snake hunter, John Voight, who claims to know the jungle and offers to help them find the Shirashama. So Stephen is injured in an accident, which puts him into a coma. And John Voight enlists Owen Wilson to help him drive the crew toward a new goal, capturing a giant anaconda. The, uh, the crew isn't happy about that. And the anaconda starts picking them off one by one. And then eventually J-Lo and Ice Cube are the only ones left. And uh, John Voight ties them up and uses them as bait to lure a snake. And they manage to escape. Terry wakes up from his coma and John Voight is killed. And Terry is Stephen Kale, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Cool. So, uh, again, this is interesting because, like, objectively, this is not, like, a good movie. No. Um, it's really but then again, maybe, I mean, we had a fucking blast with it. So maybe it just is a good movie. It's just also really dumb. It's a so bad it's good movie. And, like, I think that's how Wikipedia also describes it as a kind of so bad it's good movie, which I would very much agree with. The acting is incredibly subpar. It's not like the room level of subpar, but it's getting there. Well, and John Voight's... Oh, uh, yeah. So he is supposed to be from Paraguay. Yeah. And his accent, he sounds like Tommy Wiseau from The Room. It is fucking absurd. As it's a, so nuts. As a person who's like, most of his family has Spanish accent, he sounded nothing like that. He sounded nothing of the sort. Yeah. No, it is, <laughs> it is baffling to me. It's like vaguely Eastern European, kind of. 
I don't really know how to describe it, but he he sounds exactly like Tommy Wiseau. Well, and it's it's kind of in that way that like when you hear Tommy Wiseau speak, he like you can't place where he's from, but it just yeah. sounds kind of broadly like Europe. Europe. And that's, I guess, where I would place John Voight in this movie. Um, but yeah, his entire performance is absurd. There's a lot of scenes of him, like, creeping on J-Lo. Yeah. And it's like... His face is contorted in the weirdest ways, where it's just yeah. like, I, I don't know how to interpret it besides unnerving. Yeah, no, like, his his horny face is, like, kind of like a sturgeon face. Yeah, yeah it he is. doesn't... He doesn't play horny well. No, no, he does not. Um, I mean, in this movie, he doesn't play anything well. No. And like everyone's horny. Every single yes. person is super, super horny. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I was thinking about that. And I think that might be, you know, part of the kind of cult classic appeal of this film right. is that it really is just like a teen slasher. That's like a bunch of horny young people on a boat, um, you know, or in, in a place. And then they, they start getting picked off. But it's very much taking, you know, the the tropes of, you know, like a, a Friday the 13th or a Halloween sequel or what have you and just moving it from, you know, uh, a, a small town or, or, or uh, you know, New Jersey or wherever Crystal Lake is and just throwing that in the Amazon. Pretty much. Yeah. It's like the Amazon River is Crystal Lake. Pretty much. It, I think in some ways works really well. Right. Because it has all of that campiness. Um Owen Wilson is so absurdly miscast it's, as like the first guy to kind of be like corrupted to evil. Um, there's a scene where he has to like hold a gun and it just is so horribly out of place. So weird. I, and you can't feel threatened by Owen Wilson. Yeah. And, and I, I think on some level, right. I mean, like that was probably like a misstep from the filmmakers, but it, it works for at least our viewing of the film. I mean, just in general, I feel like the casting for this movie is so strange. Like, why? <laughs> why would you have J-Lo and Ice Cube and Owen Wilson and John Voight in the same movie? Right, right. Well, and even... Um, so, J-Lo is, is the director of this film that's being made, right? Mm. Um, and her boyfriend or, you know, romantic partner. I, I don't really get their relationship, but apparently it's, uh, has an erotic dimension. Mm -hmm. He is the most kind of bland, basic sort of kind of nerdy dude. And they have zero chemistry. And so like all of their scenes together are like, wait, like that's JLo. And like, I don't even remember the name of the actor who played the anthropologist, but like, uh, the fact that she's interested in him is a plot hole. You can see her like when they, I think the one time they kiss in the entire movie, you can see Jayla like readying herself to kiss this man. Yeah. Yeah. Like she has to sort of like warm up to it. <laughs> and like, he's supposed to be the protagonist of this movie kind of, cause like he's who we follow initially. Mm -hmm. And unless they're doing like a weird red herring, which they kind of do, but not very successfully. Like he's, he's out of the film during most of its runtime, the vast majority of its runtime, he's just in a coma. Yeah. It's kind of the, uh, you know, like the shower scene in psycho or like the, the opening of scream sort of where they kind of set you up to follow one character and then sort of remove them from the mix. But mm -hmm. like, because he doesn't die, it almost feels kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. And just the fact that like the way he's put into the coma is so strange. Just that entire scene is so strange. 
so he gets like he has to go underwater to like fix the rudder or something and like he gets stung by a hornet in his mouth which i guess gives him an allergic reaction and for some reason john voight thinks it's fine to just like do a tracheotomy with his dirty ass knife in the middle of the amazon and he's just put in a coma yeah it. so 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 he he's literally he's underwater and when they manage to pull him up there's a giant wasp in his mouth mm. um oh and i didn't even include this in the summary because i fucking why right. um, but the whole thing is that john voight like intentionally like did that to him like somehow mm. hid the wasp so that it would get him i guess because he wanted to take over the boat but like Stephen Kale is not the alpha male no. or even, like he's not the leader in this situation, you know, he's just some dude. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think other reasons that the movie works, I mean, I, I think, right. It, it just, it is just a fun campy movie. Yeah. Um, it is very much. And I think this comes out maybe even more concretely in the sequel, you know, that the, the real monster in the movie is kind of human greed. Right. Yeah. So John Voight's whole thing is right. If they can catch this, absurdly gigantic anaconda um you know they'll be able to sell it for like a billion dollars or something the real monster was the friends we made along the way the real monster was john, john, voight. Voight. <laughs> john voight and his really creepy face and terrible terrible accent oh and he has a horrible like ponytail through the whole oh movie. god yeah yeah it's the worst ponytail i've ever seen it yeah he like really uncomfortable <laughs> he just he doesn't have enough hair for for no. it uh yeah no every everything about him is both like horribly miscast but like i think that's part of it i think that's part of what makes it work it bothers me that angelina jolie came out of those loins oh that doesn't that doesn't feel right I um I don't know about you, but the word loins just like loins. it it hits me. It's in the same way you know that a lot of people hate the word moist. Like for yeah. me, loins is like ugh. I like the word loins. It's a fun word. Loin. It makes me think of like uh like a pork tenderloin yeah. or something. But then I'm like, wait, what part of the pork are we eating? The testicles. Oh, <laughs> you know, and the 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 one other thing that I I, I want to talk about and like what makes this great and again it's it's like a so bad that it's good kind of thing oh yeah um the cg in this movie is such like you, you know there's that, that era in filmmaking in the 90s where i think it's like computer generated imagery gets like just good enough to do a lot more mm. and so everyone goes buck wild with it and it looks like ass so quickly oh. um so like the giant CG snake throughout is just absurd. There's a scene where it devours Owen Wilson and there's just this big like Owen Wilson bulge <laughs> as it's like swimming back <laughs> through the water. It looks so bad. But like what's weird about it is that like even for like 1997 standards, it's bad. Like it looks like a PS1 rendering of an anaconda. Yeah, well, and I don't. I don't know if this bothered you, but like throughout, I was kind of like, "Wait, how big is this snake actually?" Right? Because it seems like it kind of changes over the course of the movie, and it's just sort of like, however big they need it to be for a scene, it just yeah. is. I think they described it at one point as like forty-ish, a little over forty feet long, but like sometimes it's way, way longer. Sometimes it's a little bit shorter. It really the anaconda because in this one there's only one anaconda. 
it just changes size to like fit the narrative. Yeah. So I guess we could say like narratively, it's like maybe 40 feet flaccid and then like, yeah, I, I just wanted to say 40 feet flaccid. I didn't have any, any point I was moving towards. It's a grower, not a shower. Forgot about that. There's two anacondas. Oh, that's right. Cause yeah. there's like a second one that shows up at some point. The second grittier anaconda. That's like, has the same color palette as shadow, the hedgehog or whatever. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's also a scene where John Voight is like partially digested by the anaconda oh, no. I love it. and then gets like spat out. And then I think he's still alive, which like, how he's just missing an eye. His like whole body looks like it was just dumped in a vat of acid and he just winks at JLo and then just like collapses. Yeah. So, I mean, like, iconic stuff. Very iconic. It's never established that he dies. It's just likely that he did. Yeah. I mean, I guess, uh, I guess after uh, the second film, they did, I think, three, like, straight to DVD hmm. sequels. So, who knows? Maybe John Voight returns in one of those. Maybe. I mean, the sequel for this one is, like, kind of a standalone yeah 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 there's like that there's a really brief mention of kind of the events of the first film from one of the characters but yeah otherwise they they don't really intersect at all Mm -hmm. yeah that's uh that's about all that i have as far as like like (laughs) i it it really is just like it's so bad that it's good and those are the reasons i feel like i don't know do you have do you have any other additions i think that's really it just the acting have you talked about much about the acting besides like John Voight? Like the acting is so weird. I don't know how to describe it. Like I, I think JLo's just in general, isn't that great of an actress. And like a lot of her lines kind of fall flat. Yeah. And you know, I guess th- there's that point of like, you know, there are lines in this movie that's just like, I don't think that, anyone yeah. could yeah. deliver them well. Very true. Um, there's a lot but, of lines that make absolutely no sense. Yeah, but yeah, no, like the performances are are weird, and maybe part of it is just like people being miscast. Like, yeah, like yeah, I mean, uh, like Ice Cube isn't actively bad in the movie. I feel like it's what he was given was bad, which is just yeah. like generic '90s black character. So like, yeah, he's it. It, it makes me uncomfortable watching it. <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, I think that was kind of a trend in the 90s of having kind of like, um, you know, white screenwriters writing black characters and just having no real concept of how to do that. So it's just kind of like really like padding all of the lines with slang. But like, I don't really know what his like personality is in the movie or like. Pretty much his personality was uh, ethnic is what I would say. Yeah. Which is like how you know it was written by white people because they don't know how to write people of color. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. You can you can very much I think feel that in both films. Oh god. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's also there's the 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 British dude playing golf yeah. on the Amazon and just like uh, keep like shooting golf balls into this like incredibly important you know environment. They just have the most colonizer behavior. They're just like yeah. going into this place, trying to look for this tribe that's lost, quote unquote, which probably means that they don't want contact with outsiders. 
and they're just like forcing themselves in there, polluting the Amazon and getting eaten by the natural fauna, which is like, can you blame the anaconda for doing that? Not really. It's what it does. Yeah, no. And, and I, I think that like, you know, a smarter movie, well, and this is going to be in, in my pitch eventually, but like, I think a smarter movie would really take a thoughtful approach to kind of like the, the sort of neocolonialism of, of these stories. Like both of them are kind of Western people coming into these places and showing no real respect for them. And I think in both cases, there's only like one character who's like local to that location. Yeah. So yeah. So in the sequel, there's one Indonesian character. Oh, and in and, the first one, in the first one, I think the only one that's like, from that area that at least is established as from that area is Danny Trejo, who's like immediately killed by the Anaconda. Right. I forgot Danny Trejo was here. I mean, there's like, uh, it's like two layers of the kind of like psycho uh, slash scream psych out of kind of like, we think Danny Trejo is going to be a character and then like, no, he's not. Um, and then we think that, you know, the uh, anthropologist guy is going to be a character. And then it's sort of like, well, I guess he sort of comes back at the end. Kind of sort of. But yeah, Danny Trejo is there. He's a, just a random Brazilian dude, I guess, who's in a, I don't know, a hut of some kind, just like phoning for help or whatever. And then he gets eaten by the anaconda. Just so strange. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I think, and again, this is uh, very much like part of my, my, my pitch. So I won't say too much here, I guess. But like, there's, there's something really interesting about the kind of lack of local characters um or characters that are that are local to the the places where they're um going on these expeditions and i think that that could be explored really thoughtfully uh, yeah it's not but it could be no no not at all i feel like the second film explores it better but still not good really yeah. just because they have a main character who is from borneo <laughs> and they have like the initial scene of the local tribesmen of that area yeah, no, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, that's really it, though. So, uh, Kevin, would you like to summarize Anaconda's The Haunt? The Haunt? Oh. The Haunt. The Haunt for Red October. The Haunt for the Blood <laughs> Orchid. I, I shall. A team of researchers, including Jack, Gordon, Sam, Gail, Cole, and Ben, uh, from, a far, from a pharmaceutical company uh, called Wexel Hall, go out to the island of Borneo uh, in search of an, the elusive blood orchid that is said to dramatically expand someone's lifespan for science reasons. Uh, they meet up uh, with Bill Johnson, who guides them uh, in search of the orchid, along with his partner, uh, Tran Wu, and his capuchin monkey, Kong. Uh, during the expedition, uh, Jack bribes Bill to take a dangerous path that will get them to the site of the orchid pasture. Uh, following that path, though, the ship is destroyed going over a waterfall. Uh, Bill assures them that his friend, John Livingston, uh, will rescue them in a few days after traversing the rainforest. So as the group goes through the rainforest, they're slowly picked out one by one, by various giant anacondas, uh, one of which has killed John and destroyed his boat. After that, after the uh, initial killing, I guess, uh, the survivors all agree to make it back to civilization safely without the orchids, uh, except for Jack, 
who demands very strongly that they go out and find the orchid and complete their mission. Once they discover that Jack has killed one of them, who was kind of getting in the way of the initial get the orchid, sell it to the pharmaceutical companies, whatever thing, Jack escapes on the group's makeshift raft. Uh, after that, they decide to find Jack and the raft and take the raft back. Because they already know pretty much where he's going to, the site of the uh, blood orchids. So on their way there, more, pe- more of the survivors are killed by the anacondas. Uh, they eventually reach Jack, uh, who's found the orchids on a cliff above the location of what I can only describe as like an anaconda mating orgy. I think they describe it as like a mating ball or whatever. Yeah, I think uh, they call it an orgy at least once in the movie. So we're, we're good to use that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a snake orgy. Just accept it. <laughs> a snorgy, if you a will. snorgy, yes. Uh, so after a short battle, uh, Jack, along with the orchids that are collected, fall into the snake pit and they're eaten. Uh, Cole then shoots a flare into a fuel container, causing an explosion that kills the snakes and destroys the remaining orchids. So by the end of the movie, uh, the remaining survivors are Bill, Sam, Cole, Gale, and Kong. And they take uh, the raft and make their way back to civilization. And that's it. Yeah. So, okay. So my initial (laughs) prescription for this movie, first thing is I want more snake orgy. Yes. And I adore Kong, the little capuchin monkey. I love him. (laughs) <laughs> we were talking about it last night that it, he's essentially like we're like watching him react to the movie for so much of it pretty much he's the live capuchin reaction yeah and he's so good at it i mean like just incredibly expressive and it is like there's a point where we think that he's died and i was heartbroken it like really i felt it in my gut i almost feel like and I feel like this might be unpopular, but it kind of would have made more narrative sense for him to die at that point. But like, I'm kind of glad that he didn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's the kind of thing that like, if I didn't love Kong more than everything else in the movie combined, Mm -hmm. then I would say, yeah, he probably should have died there. And I think it's kind of a weird narrative move to make it really obvious that he's been eaten by an anaconda and then be like, Oh look, Kong is fine. He's fine. He's totally fine. And then he, just as never threatened ever again. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, I, I don't know if my little heart could take it if Kong <laughs> were threatened more. I love him so much. I love him. He's great. He's a great addition to the cast. Yeah. So, I mean, there are so many problems with this movie, oh God, right? So many. Like it's, and it's, it's a weird case. Cause it's not that it's any dumber than the original, right? Like the plot is just as stupid, uh, start to end. I would argue that it's more stupid, but yeah. 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 But it's, it's a lot less fun, I mm. think. Um, and, and I, I have a sense that like a lot of our problems are just going to come basically down to that. Like that there are all of these different kind of moves they make and decisions that they make. And, and fundamentally, it's just kind of a, a weirdly boring movie for being about, you know, a giant snake orgy. Pretty much, yeah. Like, I think, like, m- the fact that most of the action, most of the plot important action, I should say, happens, like, towards the end of the second act and the third act was a mistake. Because, like, <laughs> it makes me not really care about any of the characters initially. 
like besides the fact that there's way too many characters like the fact that not 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 a lot besides the shipwreck happening in the first act makes me just like why do i care about them there's not a lot of development yeah no there's a, a scene like early on in the film where the the central kind of plot thing that's happening is that like they're waiting for like funding to come through yeah. for like the boat that they've chartered or something like they're like sitting around in borneo or on borneo just like talking about funding and i feel like it's kind of emblematic of like yeah the the whole first act is mm. is paced in this really kind of wonky way yeah like the first half of the first act nothing really pertaining to the plot happens it's just them hanging around in Borneo. It's being like, hey, are we going to get money? I don't know. Pretty much that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because even, you know, it starts. Uh, so there's initially, right, the um, kind of indigenous people in Borneo uh, being attacked by an anaconda. And then it kind of cuts to New York and there's this sort of like the urban jungle. Pretty much. Um, but then we just move to like a corporate boardroom, which, you know, I, I think that... I, I see what they're trying to do right there, yeah. right? That, that there's kind of a mirroring there that, that could, in theory, be interesting. Mm-hmm. But there's kind of a question of, like, why don't we just start in Borneo? Right. Um, like, there's, there's just a lot of... And, and maybe the problem is that they have too many characters. None of them are all that interesting in and of themselves, but they still all need introductions. So, so we end up having all this time of just like, here's how they feel in this boardroom thing. And like, these are his old grad students, whatever. Um, and so like the actual, like, like the narrative doesn't actually start like pushing forward until kind of weirdly deep into the film. Mm-hmm. It's very much at the end of the first act is when that happens. So when the shipwreck happens is when pretty much the main plot of the film happens which is i want to say like 30 minutes into the movie more or less yeah well it's funny because i would say generally i would argue that like a lot of horror movies could slow their pace you know like one of my favorite things about the first two alien movies is that they take a good long time before anything really scary happens. Right. Um, and they, they do a lot of establishing of kind of the characters and the world and specifically uh, Ellen Ripley kind of seeing how she interacts with the different things around her. Mm. So, so generally I'm down for that, but also like, you know, the original alien still starts with them on the ship, waking up from hypersleep, right? We don't see them go into hypersleep and then cut to them later where they're like, wait, but like, has our funding gone through? Right. I think that's like something that the first movie does successfully mm-hmm. in that, like it starts with the film crew, like on the Amazon or like on the shores of the Amazon, not like them discussing like in a boardroom meeting what the documentary is going to look like and where they're going to get their funding and things like that that really don't matter yeah no yeah like the the first movie starts where the story starts and this one kind of doesn't it's like a kind of like has a prologue but it also has a prologue before that with the scene of the indigenous bornean people being eaten yeah yeah it sort of gives us like it's like okay indigenous people get attacked boardroom in new york city waiting for their boat to be a thing or whatever Mm. finding a captain and then finally they're on the river so there's like this like yeah what four different kind of things that need to happen before anything kind of 
meaningful to, to driving the story forward can actually occur. And even like when they're on the river, it takes a little while for like anything to happen. Like the biggest action is like Kong almost getting eaten by the anaconda. And then we just think he's going to get eaten and he doesn't. So like the only thing that's like consequential to the plot that happens is the shipwreck. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, well, it, it has that weird, and I feel like this is very much kind of an early 2000s sort of move of like a lot of how we get to know the characters is just like the women on the ship being sexually harassed by the yeah. dudes on the ship. Yeah. And this, that was maybe somewhat true in, in the first one as well, but it's sort of, it's, there are two couples on board at least. So it's like they're romantic partners at least. Like, whereas in this mm-hmm. one, it's just like, there's a woman with this absurd Southern accent that she kind of drops in and out of. And it's just like, everyone's like, Hey baby, how you doing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Cause there's another woman there who, I mean, I don't want anyone to go for her, but like, it's, it's odd that like the only person everyone's going towards is the white blonde lady. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's noticeable. Um, and, and there's, there's kind of a weird, I, I'm just going to segue to my next point because it's uh, vaguely related. <laughs> um, but so, so there's this weird dynamic, right? That the crew is sort of split between there's a couple people that are very much like the finance people who are like, all right, we are going to make huge money. because we're essentially finding like the, the fountain of youth in like flower form. Yeah. Um, and then there's the other side of the crew that are more of the sciencey folks who are like, we're finding science out in the jungle or whatever. Mm. Um, and then there's just like the, the captain of the boat and Tran who are, uh, there because they're being paid to be there essentially. Right. Um, and Kong and Kong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but so, so it ends up being this kind of weird thing, right. That, that around the midpoint of the film, Everyone except for the one sort of lead scientist guy who I think, yeah, Jack, mm-hmm. everyone else just wants to go back to, you know, the city regroup. Um, and I, I guess like the way that the blood orchid blooms, they would have to wait. I think he said seven years to make yeah. another expedition if they miss it this time. Right. But pretty quickly, he's the only one who wants to keep going. And simultaneously. So, so like at that point, right why not just let him go by himself if he's that invested? And eventually he just does that. (laughs) Um, But it also feels like there's this weird, like they've characterized several of the people as being like, you know, kind of greedy and like the money being the central thing for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's sort of that one woman's pretty much only characteristic is like, she, like, I think she even says like, I used to do science, but I like money more. Yeah. She, literally says that and then her character just changes immediately the second someone dies yeah and 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 so it's this weird thing where like rather than dividing kind of down the middle which sort of feels natural that they've created the split of the characters who are more into money the characters who are more into uh science or survival or whatever um and instead of having that become it, it feels almost like there's like a tribal conflict there right um or there, there, there's some kind of a natural division that's that occurs, and then like the plot doesn't follow through on it. It ends up being just similar to John Voight being like the one crazy guy who really wants to catch the snake. Now they just have like the one crazy scientist guy who really wants to catch the orchid. And it's weird because like they're building up, at least like how I interpreted, they were really building up the financial people to all be kind of 
dicks or I'll be like the antagonists yeah. in the movie. Cause all they, before they like go to Borneo and like, even while they're in Borneo, they're all acting like jerks to everyone. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it feels like the script for the first half is setting up kind of a war between these two groups. And mm -hmm. I mean, personally, I just think that's, that's more believable on some level, uh, not necessarily that, that the characters would segue right or would uh, split right down the middle like that. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I kept thinking like, why don't they just leave Jack and let him go do whatever he wants. Right. right? Like proven that he's like a horrible person. Like they don't owe him anything. There's no reason for them to like follow him. He's not the captain of the ship. Like he's not like the natural leader for them to follow. Whereas like, at least in the first film, John Voight does, you know, theoretically know the jungle better than anyone else. So they're kind of stuck following him to, to some degree, even though they don't want to like, they try to replicate that dynamic, but it doesn't make any sense when it's just like the random nerdy science guy. I mean, it's weird that like their only reason why they're following Jack at the end after he murders one of them is that they want the raft. Like, yeah, they can make another raft. Like, I imagine that there's like other places where there's like bamboo or like tree, whatever that they could use. Yeah. The, the, the thread of logic in the second half of the movie is just really, really weird. It feels like all the characters have read the script kind of right. And they're like, okay, so we need the big climactic kind of yeah. uh, showdown. So let's all go to the place where that's going to happen. Even though from their perspective as characters, yeah, they should just ditch him and go back to, to you know, civilization. Right. I mean, it's like, do we risk going after this murderous dude who's going somewhere where we know there's going to be a lot of dangerous anacondas who have killed people. Right. They're going to a snake orgy. They're to going confront to him. the snake orgy. Or do we make a boat and avoid that? And they choose follow the murderous man. No, I mean, it's just like the only way it makes sense is like <laughs> they read the script and we're like, well, I mean, how we can gotta, we not? We got to have our climax. Gotta have your climax at the snake orgy, baby. Snake orgy. Like, did we mention that, like, the blood orchid is, like, weirdly vaginal? Oh my god, yeah. It's so weird. I feel like it's saying a lot, but I don't know what. But there's snakes and the orchid is vaginal. I don't know. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> it's sort of like, it, it, it feels like a theme that we would pull out, but it has all the depth of, like, a dick joke. Which, I mean, as far as, like, both of these movies go, I do think there's a lot of missed opportunities as far as, like, you know, they just keep talking about, like, giant anacondas and stuff. But I don't know if either of them have any penis jokes. And, like, what a shame. Right? I mean, snakes. Snakes. Penis. It's not a big disconnection there. <laughs> right, yeah, there's not a big leap between <laughs> the two. Especially with a snake orgy. Like, my mind would immediately go there. Well, and I, I feel like, you know, so I'm, I'm going to assume that a decent amount of people uh, have probably seen the original Anaconda. I don't know how many of them have actually seen the sequel, but it is just like, it's kind of a big old pit and there's a bunch of snakes in the water down there just writhing around all over each other. One of the main characters like falls into the snake orgy and then like somehow makes it out and is fine. Um, For some reason, when Jack falls in, he gets immediately eaten by the snakes but when I forgot her name, Southern Lady <laughs> falls in, she has like a good 
she has a good 30 seconds before she's noticed and that gives her enough time to like escape yeah it's very much like that kind of plot armor uh thing right that like we need like the villain to kind of get what's coming to him but like Mm -hmm. she because she's sort of the central love interest like sort of for everybody but like particularly like the captain of the boat i still believe that he could be gay yeah i mean i think the signs were there i think he fucks his boat i think he's okay like sexual whatever whatever that that would be i can accept that i've just as a gay person myself i've never seen a straight man french tuck his shirt now can you explain what is a french tuck so a french tuck is when you uh tuck the front of your shirt but not the back so usually like Usually it's like expose the belt buckle if you have one. Uh, but mm-hmm. a lot of people just do it, whatever. It's kind of a more fashionable way to tuck. It, it's extremely popular nowadays because of Queer Eye, like the new Queer Eye, mm-hmm. uh, where that's kind of like recommended uh, by one of the people there for a lot of the, a lot of the, I don't know, cases they go through. Uh, I've never, ever seen a straight person do that. All right. Well, uh, noted. I'll keep an eye out for that, you know, out in the wild. <laughs> you know, there's one other thing I wanted to say about um, anacondas, which is just that it's, it's a weird thing that, right, so we, uh, the first film is in Brazil, second film is in Borneo. And location-wise, nothing is different between those two places, right? Like, either way, it's just like, they're in the rainforest. And I, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know necessarily what I would pull on as um, defining that, that setting, right? Or, or what, would, mm-hmm. what would make that shift more, more interesting. Mm-hmm. But it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, with, with slasher sequels, how you have a new set of characters, but they're all, you know, based on the same archetypes, which is really true in both of these films. Yeah. And then, like, you know, you might have a different setting, but it's kind of the same sort of action happening either way. I mean, I guess, you know, when they, uh, you, the Friday the 13th, uh, whichever part is the one Jason takes Manhattan <laughs> when they do that. Right. I mean, obviously yeah. it's super dumb, but yeah. like that does change how things work. Right. Like suddenly he's murdering people on the subway and I feel like they missed an opportunity to, to do something with like, if they're going to move to a different rainforest, what makes that different uh, as a setting? What makes that different for this story and these characters? They don't really, they just don't do anything with it. And I feel like that could be an interesting move. Yeah. And I will say that like, even though I feel like movies don't have to be like factually accurate about everything in this instance, it's painfully, painfully obvious that it was filmed in the Amazon. Almost every single animal is not native to Borneo. <laughs> Capuchins are not native there. Scarlet macaws, holler monkeys, anacondas are not native to Borneo. They're all exclusively South American species. Like, why not just like pull something from like, I don't know, an animal that's native to the place you're supposed to be in? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 I guess it just feels very arbitrary that they even bother to to move to a new setting if they're going to just invent the animals that are there anyway right just do just make the setting in south america just do that yeah no it's it's i i think it's one of those things that that speaks to maybe like 
wanting to be sort of like a globetrotting adventure, th- uh, adventure series mm-hmm. without really having, I don't know, without putting in the thought as right. to like how they can make this second film more interesting. It's sort of, mm-hmm. it's, it's just very untextured, I guess, overall. Yeah. I, and I'd be fine. Like if they had, I don't know, anacondas in Borneo for some reason, uh, if that was explained, that would be really nice. Like if they were like an invasive species or something, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. But like the fact that there's so much emphasis on like the wildlife in Borneo, which is not actually from Borneo. The fact that a capuchin monkey is one of the 10 named characters in the film. It, it, I feel like it just like goes over the edge a little too much. It makes it completely unbelievable. Yeah. You know, and to be honest, I did not know any of that going in. So it didn't really impact my viewing, but it does just feel like, um, it's just a weird move. I don't know. Yeah. It just, it, it feels really lazy. I think is what it oh. comes down to. Not to mention that, like, I feel like just in general, the filmmakers didn't really do anything with, like, the culture in Borneo and in Indonesia. Yeah. Or anything like that. Because besides the fact that they have one Indonesian character, uh, they also, like, have, like, the actual place in Indonesia in Borneo where they are, where they, like, find Bill is very much, like, a super generic, like, I don't know how to describe it, like, Orientalist sort of generic Asian location. And, like, oh, fuck, his tattoo. Bill's tattoo also. <laughs> where he says that it's, like, it means something in Korean. I don't remember what it means. When it was clearly in Chinese. <laughs> yeah. Then I, then I looked up what it meant, and it just means, like, my world or something. But it's also the title to Minecraft in China. So he has a tattoo that just says Minecraft. And like, to be fair, <laughs> since this was what, 2000? Yeah, I mean, it was before four. it was before Minecraft happened. But like nowadays, that means Minecraft. If anyone saw that tattoo, they'd be like, oh, Minecraft. Yeah, you know, and, and really, I just think we should give him credit for being kind of a trendsetter, you know, being into Minecraft like nine years before it was commercially viable. You know, what a champ. Right. Being into Chinese Minecraft while thinking it's Korean. <laughs> yeah, I love he says specifically like, oh, yeah, it's Korean. And in the shot, you can see that it is obviously Chinese it's characters. Clearly not Korean at all. And like, I don't even know why he doesn't just say it's Chinese. Like. It's way more common for like Westerners to have uh, Chinese characters as a tattoo. I don't think I've ever seen Korean characters used in a Western tattoo. Yeah, no, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's baffling. And like, to be fair, I mean, the first movie, there's this great moment where like, there's a shot where the, the boat is by a waterfall hmm. and you can see that they just didn't oh, like, shoot the footage. So for them to like pull away from the waterfall, it's literally just the a shot they'd used previously put in rewind. And so you can see the waterfall shooting upwards. I love that. Really clearly. It's taking up like a third of the shot. It is absurd. I love that. I love that. I love that scene so much. But like, I feel like in that instance, it's like uh, so bad that I love it because it's like not problematic. It's just like the filmmakers being lazy. Yeah. In like everything they do in the second Anaconda, it kind of just boils down to Borneo is like a weird exotic place, I guess, that's simultaneously East Asia 
and South America. Yeah. I feel like the first film does that. Well, avoids that a lot better. The only, I guess, problematic, I don't know, I don't know what other word to use, but problematic thing uh, about it is just how they handle the uh, indigenous tribes and kind of colonizing a little bit. That's really it. Well, and John Voight playing oh, a God, South yeah. American character. <laughs> John Voight playing the uh, worst Paraguayan I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, to be fair, I did zero research. And like, what if John Voight actually is like Paraguayan? And we're just like, oh, man, his accent is absurd. I'm absolutely sure he is not from Paraguay. <laughs> Here, don't mind me for a moment while I casually look at Wikipedia. Uh, yeah, no, his uh, grandparents were Slovak immigrants. Yes. Slovak Paraguay. Yeah, Slovak and German. So, yeah, no, yeah, uh, it's cool. We're not problematic. No, We're no. fine. We can blame John Void. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, um... I don't know if we touched on it enough, just the fact that there's way too many characters that like yeah. none of them like maybe like four or five of them matter in the plot. Everyone else is just kind of like snake fodder. That's it. Yeah. And you know, I think we should maybe say, cause this is very much like, um, kind of a fiction writer problem to have with a thing that I, I think, you know, the, the problem with having too many characters is that you end up, you know, there's not enough space in like a 90 minute film to actually characterize that many people particularly well or i mean i think to do that you just need to have like a very tight script which this obviously does not have mm -hmm. it ends up feeling like padding because there's just not that many characters that are actually meaningful yeah they are mm -hmm. just snake fodder yeah yeah and i feel like it, it comes back to like laziness in a sense because like no one is like no one is like characterized I, I i would go out and say like no one is really characterized on an especially deep level but like, especially these snake potter characters, like everyone's pretty much kind of just represents an archetype more or less. Like you have the, um, kind of jerk sort of hot headed capitalist person who in this case is like one of the, uh, only two women in the film. Um, this like massive capitalist villain who's Jack, uh, this rough and tumble dude who's seen some shit. So it's just like all of these archetypes together. And, like, we don't know anything about their, I don't know, how they grew up, what they like, what they dislike, things like that. So let's, let's move into pitching. Okay. Um, so, Kevin, do you want to start us off? Like, what, what ideas did you have? So I think that, like, with a film franchise called Anaconda... You can only do like two things with the setting, which is like go to South America and only make it a South American franchise or somehow introduce like anacondas as an invasive species somewhere else. Both yeah. of those are fine. The second film does not do either. <laughs> but um, that's kind of how I would go about it. I would make it something similar to the first film in which it's like foreigners of some kind going to i don't know south america or wherever else for some capitalist gain reason or some like some like 
I don't know how to describe it, like passively colonistic reason, uh, like filming a documentary or getting a plant uh, for a pharmaceutical company. And really just them like, I don't know. It, 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 it just kind of feels like the first film again. I don't really know how it differentiate it too much, to be honest. Maybe I, I would like put the Anaconda somewhere like Central Park or something. I don't know. Somewhere in like the U.S. Anaconda takes Manhattan, baby. Anaconda takes Manhattan. I don't know if the Anaconda was just like on the, I don't know any rivers in New York. The Hudson. Uh, Hudson? Yeah. yeah, that's one. Yeah. If, they, if there was an Anaconda infestation in the Hudson because someone introduced them for some reason. It'd be interesting to see how, like, I don't know, the police and the government and the citizens there react to it. Yeah. No, it's funny. My my brain went to a really similar place. And I think what it comes down to is sort of like whether we're making like uh, a B-movie sequel or a movie that like wants to actually be good. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe it's just like giant anacondas are going to be kind of B-movie regardless. I um, feel like the only way you can like make it like a respectable film is like to do what Godzilla did, which is like make the monster represent something. Cause like Godzilla represented like nuclear war uh, for the Japanese people. So the Anaconda needs to represent something. I'm going towards like colonialism cause that makes the most sense, but I don't know. Yeah, no, no. I, so I had the exact same thought process. So I, I kind of thought like if they wanted to go full on B movie, I think, you know, an anaconda loose in the Everglades and having it be kind of about the exotic pet trade would be fun and would kind of highlight some of the absurdity. Mm-hmm. And it would sort of continue to some to some degree sort of what the, the first, well, I guess what both of these films are doing, which is a group of people who are utterly unprepared to be out in the rainforest having to deal with something yeah. you know, very serious in the rainforest. I just got a good idea. Okay. It's like, what if we did Anaconda, but it's Tiger King? My so God. It's, <laughs> so it's just like an irresponsible like zoo owner who has these anacondas and they escape into the Florida Everglades or whatever. Yeah, I'm into it. I mean, yeah, it could be about the exotic pet trade and how ch- shitty. Yeah, well, and, and it, it it kind of ties back to like the kind of shitty capitalism mm-hmm. of of these films that they're the, the I guess critique of capitalism that they're doing, and it, it it plays again on these kind of people being unprepared for the the consequences of going into this place. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, I'm imagining you know a giant anaconda like eating like some lady and her tiny little chihuahua or something. <laughs> I love that. But I do feel like that is the direction that the movie needs to go. Cause like in, in these two films, the anacondas don't really represent much. They're just big monsters that like are just killing people. I mean, I guess for the first film, it could be like, I don't know, natural fauna, disliking invasive people. But in the second film, that's just big snake, big snake eat. Yeah, no, it, it very much is. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I had I had two pitches. So one is the the anaconda and the Everglades. The other one, this is uh, it's 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 moderately unformed, um, but I do think making colonialism a central focus would be really interesting because uh, like both of these films have like big colonizer energy, right? Okay, like, I yeah. think, Specifically, like the the British narrator uh, character of the first film, who's yeah, like playing golf on the boat and just shooting golf balls into the Amazon. Um, 
I think that's that's very much in the fabric of these films, whether they recognize it or not. I mean, it is um, interesting that like there are two British characters in the film who are at some point antagonists. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Yeah. So my my alternate pitch is a military unit being sent out to uh, save a team that's been lost in the rainforest. And then essentially kind of trying to mirror Heart of Darkness, right, as mm. they, they move kind of deeper into the rainforest. And, you know, when they find this team, there's some kind of horror on how it reflects on themselves, uh, which is, I, I guess, a fairly abstract pitch and maybe, maybe too highbrow for a movie about giant anacondas. <laughs> but I, I feel like there's, there's an opportunity. I mean, you know, Heart of Darkness has obviously been... Um, adapted or, or, or pulled from in a range of ways already, you know, most famously uh, Apocalypse Now. But I think really centralizing the, the ways that, that Heart of Darkness is both, you know, critiquing colonialism and also mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, taking part in it uh, as well, right? Like the, the portrayal of the actual people, um, the actual African people in, in Heart of Darkness is pretty, pretty grim. Yeah. And I think playing on the ways that you might have these kind of like white savior mindsets as they pass deeper and deeper into the Amazon. Um, but also the ways that we see the reflections of, um, colonialism kind of playing out, I think could be really interesting. I mean, it would be interesting to see like how modern colonization is happening in the Amazon. So like loggers or like people taking away indigenous lands, things like that, I feel like would be, uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd, it'd be really interesting to look into. Yeah. I mean, doesn't, all right. So this is spurious and unresearched, but um, <laughs> I just love the word spurious. I think it's really spurious. fun. It reminds me of like a spur on a cowboy's boot. Yeah. No, I have the, I have the same feeling when I say it. Um, but I, I remember reading something years ago about um, logging in the Amazon to make way for uh, cattle ranching. Mm. And so, it, I mean, it could be something, right, that like, I don't know, you know, a group of people who are like logging for McDonald's to make a cattle ranch all go missing at the same time. And so a team is sent to find them. You know, it, it right. could, I think, very smoothly kind of connect to the way that like multinational corporations sort of feed off of the Amazon and are very much like a parasite on the Amazon. And then sort of how, you know, how the rainforest strikes back. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I, I like that. The only concern would be that like, it could very easily turn into a pro logging movie. (laughs) Yeah. They find the logging camp and like the loggers have actually all like married anacondas. Yeah. That's how they do that. What if we brought in Ewoks? Yes. But only if they're eaten. I want every Ewok eaten by the Anaconda. Yeah, I think that's a smart move. Fucking hate Ewoks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's really a tough one because I think on the one hand, right, I think that like a sort of post-colonial take on this story would be really interesting. And I, and I think that like the movie, the the first two films set up space for that to happen. But also, if we're making kind of a cheesy monster movie, it's a hard sell for me on some level to be like, all right, we're going to actually try and take on like yeah. a more serious critique if 
in the end, the real monster is capitalism and giant anacondas. I don't know. I feel like I like cheesy horror movies that try to do that. I bring up Godzilla a lot because I feel like Godzilla is a good example of it. Of just like how kind of mostly in the background is kind of like dealing with these issues of like nuclear war and its effects on the environment and the people uh, there. But like it's mostly about giant lizard kill people, giant lizard destroy Tokyo. Yeah, no, that's that's really, really fair. You know, on some level, like, is a giant anaconda that much more absurd than, like, Freddy Krueger? Like, Not really. I mean, at least anacondas actually exist. <laughs> yeah, very fair. Very fair. Yeah, so did you have any last thoughts on, uh, on these movies? I, well, at least for the first movie, movie I love it in the it's terrible but it's hilarious uh j-lo and anything makes like a movie so bad it's good like that's just her acting trajectory is that and i love her for it and i hope she keeps doing it but besides that um uh, yeah bad bad movies second one especially bad yeah yeah no like i would i would genuinely recommend people watch the original anaconda mm. but only as like it's a really fun kind of pizza movie you know yeah. like you order dominoes whatever you sit down with some friends you laugh when the waterfall is going in reverse and it'd you a, are baffled by john Voight. it'd be a perfect movie for like a midnight showing sort of thing like kind of like a rocky horror or like a room sort of deal where like I don't know, people like throw buckets of water whenever they're when they see the scene of like the waterfall going backwards. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it really is. It, it feels like the kind of movie that is like it's made to be a communal experience, kind of. And I really respect it for like I was never bored. You know, like the yeah. the entire time I was having a blast. And it's it's similar to the room in that way, I guess that like. I enjoyed Anaconda a lot more than a lot of very, you know, serious art movies that I've seen. <laughs> and so props to it for that. Yeah. Yeah. It made a, it made a very entertaining movie inadvertently. And, you know, and, and I think probably to some degree, can you say vertently? Vertently? Um, advertently? John Vertingly? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's like, I, I think they made some, enough good decisions that like the plot moves along things happen it's enjoyable and enough terrible decisions that like every time you see the like cgi like owen wilson bulge like that will always work for me i think anytime jennifer lopez delivers a serious line or anytime ice cube delivers any line just hilarious oh or and john boy every time i have to hear his terrible terrible paraguayan accent I love it. Yeah. And on some level, like, can we ask for more than that? You know, if like most of the characters in the movie, every time they speak, we have an enjoyable experience, you know, like maybe that's what cinema is really about, Kevin. It truly is. It truly, truly is. Return to the Telepodcast is a production of Silent Machine Studios, featuring music by My Silent Machine. If you enjoyed this episode like subscribe do whatever else you usually do with podcasts i don't know thank you for listening <laughs>